Chapter Three of Marriage, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Patty Cunningham. Marriage, Volume One by Susan Edmonstone Ferrier. Chapter Three. What can be worse than to dwell here? Paradise Lost. It was a long, narrow, low-roofed room, with a number of small windows that admitted feeble lights in every possible direction. The scanty furniture bore every appearance of having been constructed at the same time as the edifice, and the friendship thus early formed still seemed to subsist, as the high backwork chairs adhered most pertinaciously to the grey walls, on which hung, in narrow black frames, some of the venerable ancestors of the Douglas family. A fire, which appeared to have been newly kindled, was beginning to burn, but previous to showing itself in flame, had chosen to vent itself in smoke, with which the room was completely filled, and the open windows seemed to produce no other effect than that of admitting the rain and wind. At the entrance of the stranger a flock of females rushed forward to meet them. Douglas good-humouredly submitted to being hugged by three long-chinned spinsters, whom he recognised as his aunts, and warmly saluted five awkward purple girls he guessed to be his sisters. While Lady Juliana stood the image of despair, and scarcely conscious, admitted in silence to the civilities of her new relations, till at length, sinking into a chair, she endeavoured to conceal her agitation by calling to the dogs and caressing her macaw. The laird, who had been hastily summoned from his farming operations, now entered. He was a good-looking old man, with something of the air of a gentleman, in spite of the inelegance of his dress, his rough manner, and provincial accent. After warmly welcoming his son, he advanced to his beautiful daughter-in-law, and taking her in his arms, bestowed a loud and hearty kiss on each cheek. Then, observing the paleness of her complexion and the tears that swam in her eyes, "'What? Not frightened for our highland hills, me lady? Come, cheer up. Trust me ye'll find as warm hearts among them as ony ye hae left in your fine English policies.' Shaking her delicate fingers in his hard, muscular grip as he spoke, the tears, which had with difficulty been hitherto suppressed, now burst in torrents from the eyes of the high-bred beauty, as she leant her cheek against the back of a chair, and gave way to the anguish which mocked control. To the loud anxious inquiries and oppressive kindness of her homely relatives she made no reply, but stretching out her hands to her husband, sobbed, "'Take, oh!' take me from this place mortified and ashamed and provoked at a behaviour so childish and absurd douglas could only stammer out something about lady juliana having been frightened and fatigued and requesting to be shown to their apartment he supported her almost lifeless to it while his aunts followed all three prescribing different remedies in a breath for heaven's sake take them from me faintly articulated Lady Juliana, as she shrank from the many hands that were alternately applied to her pulse and forehead. After repeated entreaties and plausible excuses from Douglas, 
his aunts at length consented to withdraw. He then exerted all the rhetoric he was master of to reconcile his bride to the situation love and necessity had thrown her into. But in vain he employed reasoning, caresses, and threats. The only answers he could extort were tears and entreaties to be taken from a place where she declared she felt it impossible to exist. "'If you wish my death, Harry,' said she, in a voice almost inarticulate from excess of weeping, "'oh, kill me quickly, and do not leave me to linger out my days and perish at last with misery here.' "'For heaven's sake, tell me what you would have me do,' said her husband, softened to pity by her extreme distress, "'and I swear that in everything possible I will comply with your wishes.' "'Oh, fly, then, stop the horses, and let us return immediately.' "'Do run, dearest Harry, or they will be gone, and we shall never get away from this odious place.' "'Where would you go?' asked he, with affected calmness. "'Oh, anywhere.' no matter where, so as we do but get away from hence. We can be at no loss. None in the world, interrupted Douglas with a bitter smile, as long as there is a prison to receive us. See, continued he, throwing a few shillings down on the table, there is every sixpence I possess in the world, so help me heaven. Lady Juliana stood aghast. At that instant the English Abigail burst into the room, and in a voice choking with passion, she requested her discharge, that she might return with the driver who had brought them there. "'A pretty way of travelling, to be sure it will be,' continued she, "'to go bumping behind a dirty chaise-driver. But better to be shook to a jelly altogether than to stay amongst such a set of oatentoads.' "'What do you mean?' inquired Douglas, as soon as the voluble Abigail allowed him an opportunity of asking. "'Why, my meaning, sir?' is to leave this here place immediately. Not that I have any objections either to my lady or you, sir, but to be sure it was a sad day for me that I engaged myself to her ladyship. Little did I think that a lady of distinction would be coming to such a poor, pitiful place as this. I am sure I thought I should have swooned when I was showed the hole where I was to sleep." At the bare idea of this indignity to her person, the fury of the incensed fair one blazed forth with such strength as to choke her utterance. Amazement had hitherto kept Lady Juliana silent, for to such scenes she was a stranger. Born in an elevated rank, reared in state, accustomed to the most obsequious attention, and never approached, but with the respect due rather to a divinity than to a mortal, the strain of vulgar insolence that now assailed her was no less new to her ears than shocking to her feelings. With a voice and look that awed the woman into obedience, she commanded her to quit her presence for ever, and then, no longer able to suppress the motions of insulted pride, wounded vanity, and indignant disappointment, she gave way to a violent fit of hysterics. In the utmost perplexity the unfortunate husband, by turns, cursed the hour that had given him such a wife, now tried to soothe her into composure, but at length, seriously alarmed at the increasing attack, he called loudly for assistance. In a moment the three aunts and five sisters all rushed together into the room, full of wonder, exclamation, and inquiry. Many were the remedies that were tried, and the experiments that were suggested, and at length, 
the violence of passion exhausted itself, and a faint sob or deep sigh succeeded the hysteric scream. Douglas now attempted to account for the behavior of his noble spouse by ascribing it to the fatigue she had lately undergone, joined to distress of mind at her father's unrelenting severity towards her. "'Oh, the amiable creature!' interrupted the unsuspecting spinsters, almost stifling her with their caresses as they spoke. "'Welcome, a thousand times welcome, to Glenfern Castle,' said Miss Jacky, who was esteemed by much the most sensible woman, as well as the greatest orator in the whole parish. "'Nothing shall be wanting, dearest Juliana, to compensate for a parent's rigour, and make you happy and comfortable.' "'Consider this as your future home. "'My sisters and myself will be as mothers to you, "'and see these charming young creatures, "'dragging forward two tall, frightened girls "'with sandy hair and great purple arms. "'Thank Providence for having blessed you with such sisters.' "'Don't speak too much, Jackie, to our dear niece at present,' "'said Miss Grizzy. "'I think one of Lady Maclaughlan's composing drafts "'would be the best thing for her.' "'Composing draughts at this time of day,' cried Miss Nicky. "'I should think a good broth a much wiser thing. "'There are some excellent family broth making below, "'and I'll desire Tibby to bring a few.' "'Will you take a little soup, love?' asked Douglas. "'His lady assented, and Miss Nicky vanished, "'but quickly re-entered, followed by Tibby, "'carrying a huge bowl of coarse broth, "'swimming with leeks, greens, and grease.' "'Lady Juliana attempted to taste it, but her delicate palate revolted at the homely fare, and she gave up the attempt in spite of Miss Nicky's earnest entreaties to take a few more of these excellent family broth. "'I should think,' said Henry, as he vainly attempted to stir it round, "'that a little wine would be more to the purpose than this stuff.' The ants looked at each other, and withdrawing to a corner, a whispering consultation took place, in which Lady Maclaughlan's opinion— birch, balm, current, heating, cooling, running risks, etc., etc., transpired. At length the question was carried, and some tolerable sherry and a piece of very substantial shortbread were produced. It was now voted by Miss Jacky, and carried Nem Con, that her ladyship ought to take a little repose till the hour of dinner. "'And don't trouble to dress,' continued the considerate aunt, "'for we are not very dressy here.' and we are to be quite a charming family party, nobody but ourselves, and, turning to her nephew, your brother and his wife. She is a most superior woman, though she has rather too many of her English prejudices yet to be all we could wish, but I have no doubt when she has lived a little longer amongst us she will just become one of ourselves. I forget who she was, said Douglas. A granddaughter of Sir Duncan Malcolm's. A very old family, of the ah uh, blood, and nearly allied to the present earl. And here they come, exclaimed she, on hearing the sound of a carriage, and all rushed out to receive them. Let us have a glimpse of this scion from a noble stock, said Lady Juliana, mimicking the accent of the poor spinsters as she rose and ran to the window. Good heavens, Henry! Do come and behold this equipage and she laughed with childish glee as she pointed to a plain old-fashioned whisky with a large top. A tall, handsome young man now alighted and lifted out a female figure, so enveloped in a cloak that eyes less penetrating than Lady Juliana's could not, at a single glance, have discovered her to be a frightful quiz. 
only conceive the effect of this dashing equipage on Bond Street,' continued she, redoubling her mirth at the bright idea, then suddenly stopping and sighing. "'Ah, my pretty vis-a-vis, I remember the first time I saw you, Henry. I was in it at a review.' And she sighed still deeper. "'True. I was then aide-de-camp to your handsome lover, the Duke of L. Perhaps I might think him handsome now.' people's tastes alter according to circumstances yours must have undergone a wonderful revolution if you can find charms in a hunchback of fifty-three he is not a hunchback returned her ladyship warmly only a little high-shouldered but at any rate he has the most beautiful place and the finest house in england douglas saw the storm gathering on the brow of his capricious wife and clasping her in his arms are you indeed so changed my julia that you have forgot the time when you used to declare you would prefer a desert with your henry to a throne with another no certainly not changed but i i did not very well know then what a desert was or at least i had formed rather a different idea of it what was your idea of a desert said her husband laughing do tell me love Oh, I had fancied it a beautiful place full of roses and myrtles, and smooth green turf, and murmuring rivulets, and, though very retired, not absolutely out of the world, where one could occasionally see one's friends, and give de je ne fais Well, perhaps the time may come, Juliana, when we may realize your Elysian deserts, but at present, you know, I am wholly dependent on my father." I hope to prevail on him to do something for me, and that our stay here will be short. As you may be sure, the moment I can, I will take you hence. I am sensible it is not a situation for you, but for my sake, dearest Juliana, bear with it for a while, without betraying your disgust. Will you do this, darling? And he kissed away the sullen tear that hung on her cheek. "'You know, love, there's nothing in the world I wouldn't do for you,' replied she, as she played with her squirrel. "'And as you promise our stay shall be short, if I don't die of the horrors, I shall certainly try to make thee agreeable.' "'Oh, my cherub, flying to her pug who came barking into the room, where have you been, and where's my darling Psyche and sweet macaw? "'Do, Harry, go and see after the darlings. I must go and see my brother and his wife first. "'Will you come, love?' "'Oh, not now. I don't feel equal to the encounter. Besides, I must dress. But what shall I do? Since that vile woman's gone, I can't dress myself. I never did such a thing in my life, and I'm sure it's impossible that I can,' almost weeping at the hardships she was doomed to experience in making her own toilette. "'Shall I be your Abigail?' asked her husband, smiling at the distress. Methinks it would be no difficult task to deck my Julia. Dear Harry, will you really dress me? Oh, that will be delightful. I shall die with laughing at your awkwardness. And her beautiful eyes sparkled with childish delight at the idea. In the meantime, said Douglas, I'll send someone to unpack your things. And after I have shook hands with Archie and been introduced to my new sister, I shall enter on my office. Now do, pray, make haste. "'for I'd die to see your great hands tying strings and sticking pins.' "'Delighted with her gaiety and good humour, "'he left her caressing her favourites, "'and finding rather a scarcity of female attendants, 
he dispatched two of his sisters to assist his helpless beauty in her arrangements. End of chapter 3 Recording by Patty Cunningham